All right, good morning, everyone. It is good to be home. Last week I was in Washington, D.C. and uh, New York City with 32 eighth graders. And um, we brought them all home. And so uh, my school year is done, which is great. Um, one quick highlight from the trip <clears throat> is that um, we do all of the kind of the normal sites in Washington, D.C. But this year when we were there at the World War II Memorial, it happened to be on a day where World War II vets were visiting. And it was really interesting what happened. There's a, uh, there's a group, and I forget their name, that they raise funds to um, fly vets, World War II vets, from their home state to the World War II Memorial, Memorial in D.C. And so this, there's a group from Utah that was there. And uh, as they got out of the vans and some of the buses, a group formed around them, kind of made just like a, an aisleway for them to walk just spontaneously, and people just started clapping and saying thank you. <coughs> Excuse me. And it was just a very, um, very unique and, and powerful experience where people spontaneously came together to recognize uh, the service and commitment that they had given to our country so that we can uh, have the freedoms we enjoy. So there are um, meaningful moments like that on the, those kinds of trips. <coughs> this morning, we're starting <clears throat> Excuse me. We're starting a summer series on the book of Proverbs. And because of it being summertime, each sermon will be independent of the previous ones. Summertime, people are traveling, traveling a lot, and, and so people are more hit and miss. And so when we look at the book of Proverbs, we will look at different topics in the book of Proverbs. Okay, So we will start with uh, this morning with the idea that we want to live in a God-centered reality, that we want to um, be authentic, we want to live um, in a way that's not filled with self-deception, but we really want to understand how God wants us to live. And so the word Proverbs <clears throat> is a Hebrew word, and what's interesting about the word, it's kind of like um, we can use the example of a stone. If you are a, a woman here this morning and you're married and you have a diamond on your finger or some kind of stone, it's a stone, but you can look at it at different angles and it gives you a different perception of what the stone looks like. Well, the same thing is true with the word wisdom. Wisdom has many different definitions or many different English words and different Hebrew words to help us understand what this word means. Okay, so here's, let me give you kind of a, a definition, and then we'll expound on it to help us better understand what this word means. So wisdom is the skill of choosing the right thing to do in the complex reality of life when moral rules don't apply. There's a lot of situations in life where there's just a moral absolute. All right, so it's always wrong to deceive people in order to make money. All right, there, so there are certain moral principles we can just say, hey, being dishonest, you're defrauding people. The government says uh, that's illegal. You can go to jail for that. So there are moral absolutes that we live in. But there's a large part of life where moral absolutes don't apply. For example, how often should you open your mouth? Think about when someone says something to you that's a little bit offensive, a little bit bothersome, and how should you reply back? Should you say something back? When do you know when to speak? When do you know when to hold your tongue? 
There are so many examples of life when we need God's wisdom, when we need the skill to live life well, when moral rules don't apply. So here's the book of, here's a, a broadening then of this word wisdom. And according to, this is from Proverbs chapter 1, I'll just be very brief on this, but the word has different implications. Number one, it has the idea of instructions. The idea of correction or discipline, that wisdom doesn't come easily. The book of Proverbs says that wisdom should be highly valued. In fact, it's more precious than money or the wealth of the world. That wisdom should be something we pursue. But sometimes it has the idea of discipline or correction. Number two, it has the idea of understanding. That you can discern. You have two options. And moral absolutes don't apply. For example... If you're dating someone, should you keep progressing towards marriage? Should you break up? There's no moral absolute for something like that. If you're working at a job and you really don't like it, but you feel like you should stay there, there is no moral absolute for staying at the job. We need wisdom. You need discernment. Also, we find the idea of planning, that you make a plan that's based on reality. Right? Sometimes we hear people, they've got these great ideas, and you're like, what have you been smoking? Like, something's not right. You're not living in reality, right? It sounds great, but you're not living in reality. So wisdom says, no, actually, I'm grounded, and the plans I make for my life are based on reality. Next is the idea of knowledge, a willingness to learn. A wise person keeps on growing. Okay, so wisdom is the skill of choosing the right thing to do in the complex reality of life when moral absolutes don't apply. And so just before we get into Proverbs chapter 3, just a couple of quick observations that, that won't be um, a main point of discussion. But we learn early in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 1, that you never learn wisdom on your own. The author Solomon begins with this saying, My son, do not forget my teaching. And so there's a relationship. So all of us have a role. Sometimes what happens, we think about if, if someone's been around church for a long time that we think they're wise. You know what? That's often not the case. And we just put assumptions on people. And the point is this. We all need each other to grow in wisdom. I need you in my life to grow in wisdom. We need each other. No one learns and gains wisdom independent of other people. It's about doing it together in a community. And once you get to the point when you think you're the wise one, according to the book of Proverbs, you're showing yourself to be the fool. Because wisdom is something that we continually grow in. We learn together. We learn that early on, but we also learn something else that's important, that wisdom is like a path. And in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 6, it, it uses that metaphor that, that growing in wisdom is like a path. And here's what's really interesting about this idea. If you're on a path, and you're walking, it's as simple as this. Right, left, right, left. It's showing, it's, it's, the point is this, that you need wisdom in the simple things of life, in just the daily routine of life. We, we need to remember this, that most of life is just kind of the routine of life, of going to work, of having the rhythm of life. We are about halfway through the year right now, and if you were to ask me what were a high point from January until June, uh, I, I could say something like the Callie's Cause Paddle was a highlight, or going to Haiti with Locke and Gary would be high points. 
But that's, that's not most of life, okay? So on January 17th uh, at six in the morning, no idea what I was doing, but there's a good chance, looking back I hope, that I spent five minutes just reading God's word for a few minutes. And that's most of life. And so we, we just need to learn this. Most of life is making the wise decision on the simple things of life. Even coming to church. Listen, if we're honest, there's probably a percentage of you here that um, are really excited um, at 8 in the morning about coming to church. It's probably most of you were like, man, I just don't know if I can get out of bed and want to come. Like, it's just hard to get here sometimes. But you made the choice. And so when we look at the book of Proverbs this summer, we're, we're talking about how do we function? How do we live in God's reality during the routine of our life, during the little decisions of life? God offers us his wisdom in order to be a guide and to be a protector for our lives in good times and hard times. And we need wisdom in both. We need wisdom when you get a promotion at work. We, you need wisdom when you start making more money. How do you not allow wealth or prosperity to ruin you? You need wisdom with that. I guarantee you that as wealth goes up, life gets more and more complex, right? So if I gave everyone $10 and I said just for discussion, would you give 10% of that to the ministry of the gospel or to help poor people? So $1. Most people would say, yeah, no problem. And if we get to 1,000 and then I say give away 100, Okay. And then you, as you keep going higher and higher, and that giving away number gets higher, you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Right? Okay, a million dollars. Give away a hundred thousand of it. That's a little bit harder, right? We need wisdom on how we want to live our life, how we want to handle our money. When things are going really difficult, when life is hard, when there are not just moral absolutes. So much of life, we want this. Give me a step one, two, three. And presto, my life is perfect again. And you're not living in reality. Okay? So again, wisdom is about living in reality. Often in life, there's not a perfect step, one, two, three, and you're happy. That's not true. So here's what we'll do this morning. We'll just break this down. And we'll talk about how, how God wants to give us wisdom and what that looks like in our relationship with him. And then, so today is more vertical about how God wants to give us wisdom and how that will be made visible in our life with him. And then as we go throughout the summer, it'll be about how more horizontal, how we treat each other, how do we speak to each other, how do we deal with our anger, how do we deal with our mouth, how do we, we become better friends, really important things. So this morning, though, we'll start with this. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 3, and we'll begin with this point of this, that each day, each day we are to put our trust in the grace of God. Each day we are to put our trust in the grace of God, reminding ourselves to submit our lives to Him. Each day we are to put our trust in the grace of God. And this is really interesting. So, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 3 says this, Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you, and that immediately points to what God is like. A really important word here. The, the word it's translated in English is steadfast love. It's a really, really important Hebrew word. 
we would call the, today, the, the word would be hesed. And it's used throughout the Old Testament to, to teach us a really important thing about God. So, when we think about wisdom and God and how he wants to give us wisdom, this is one of the most important characteristics of what God is like. Sometimes we think about, you know, I don't know what God is like. I'm curious about what God is like, what his, what his nature is. How would we describe God? Well, this is one of the key parts of God's character. All right? And the word here, as I said, is hesed. And here's some different ways it's translated. It's translated as love, as faithful love, as a loyal love, faithful to a covenant promise. It's not a word based on feelings, right? So we all have, we've all experienced feelings of love, which is great. That God has given us our emotions and we feel love. And that's a secondary meaning of this word. The primary meaning of this word hesed, or faithful love, of covenant love, is that it's action. It's an action word. It's an action that God takes towards us. So God's faithful covenant love is eternal. And it's often targeted towards people who don't deserve it. It's really important for us to think about this for just a moment. That this is what God is like. This is the nature of God. That his love is faithful. It's enduring. It's eternal. And it's aimed at people who don't deserve it. That's what we learn about who God is and the wisdom that he wants to give us. We read about this really throughout the Old Testament. And sometimes it's even expressed in a way that might be viewed as negative. An example of that would be the nation of Israel when they were forced into exile because of their disobedience. God allowed that to happen, something negative to happen to bring them back. So sometimes the word hesed can be a very positive thing, a nurturing thing, but sometimes God can use this word in more of a negative sense to get our attention, say, hey, you're running the wrong way. You're doing things that are hurtful toward yourself. The proverb goes on and says this, Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So the point is this, is that we easily forget. We are, by nature, forgetful people. That we forget what God is like. And one of the main things we learn about Him is that His love for you is enduring. It's steadfast. Okay? Here's what they would do. So, People in the Bible days, they were no different than us. So here's what they, we'll do this together. We'll, we'll, this is a good tradition. They would do things like this back in the times of ancient Israel, and we'll do it this morning. If you have your Bible, you can follow along, or just, I think it'll be on the screen. But I'm going to read to you, this is Psalm 36, I'm oh, sorry, Psalms 136. And because we are forgetful people, they would, they would respond with the ex exact same thing over and over again. Okay, so I'm going to read something, and then you respond by saying this, for his steadfast love endures forever. All right, this is from Psalms 136. Okay, so we won't do the whole Psalms this morning, but we'll do a part of it. Okay, so Psalms 136 verse 1 says this, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Give thanks to the God of gods. 
Give thanks to the Lord of Lords. It is he who remembered us in our low estate. He rescued us from our foes. Give thanks to the God of heaven. So that's just one, and basically Psalms 136 is like a, it's a history of the nation of Israel about the challenges and struggles they had as a nation. And then at the end of each verse, that's what it says. If we want to gain wisdom, if we want to live in reality, in God's reality, we have to build this truth into your life that God's love for you is eternal it's an enduring promise. And it's aimed at rebels. People that want to walk away from God and say, God, I'm doing it my own way. And he's saying, I'm showing you my love. I'm reaching out to you. It's who I am. This is the antidote for worry. There are most likely many of you here this morning that are struggling with worry. And this is the antidote. That you build your life that you put your trust in God because his love endures forever. Go back to Proverbs chapter 3. Our challenge is this. Or let me back up and say this. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 3. So bind them around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart. He's saying that this is to be an internal part of who we are. This is not an, a, a rule. This is not a top-down heavy saying, you need to do this. <laughs> Solomon is saying, if you want to be wise, understand who God is. That his steadfast love endures forever. The challenge is this, verse 5. It says this, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. The challenge is this, is that we often think we know the best way. And the idea of trusting in God instead of trusting in yourself is very challenging. We are naturally driven to operate that I will function and grow and thrive independent of God. That my success, my future is determined by me. That I am in charge of this. And that's why Solomon says, do not lean on your own understanding. We think we understand. We think we know. But the wise person will live in a God-centered reality. Because what happens when we lean on our own understanding, there is a self-deception that develops within our lives that we think we know what's best. We have an understanding. And Solomon, the author, says this, in all of your ways acknowledge him. So we're allowing God, each day we're putting our trust in God's eternal, enduring love. And we're putting our trust into every area of your, our lives, the hard areas of our lives. Listen, we all have certain areas that are easier than others. All right, so we have to be careful of this. It's easy for some of you in one area of your life to trust God, but really hard for others in different areas. And so the wise person says this, it's a challenge to not lean on our own understanding. But we are to acknowledge Him in all of our ways. That means 
that you are allowing this truth. You are allowing the unconditional love of God to go into every area of your life. That you are allowing the hesed, the love promise, into every area of your life. And then verse 6 says this, In all of your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. So at the beginning part of wisdom, at the core of this, is that you are putting your trust each day in the character of God of what he is like. And you are willing to submit your life to him. This is a this is our challenge as people. This word submit. It's quite it's quite the antithesis of who we are as people. But this is the beginning of wisdom according to the author, that we will not trust our own ways, that we will lean on him, that this is how we will live our days, that he will make our path straight. The Hebrew word for straight means a clear and level road, that the road, the pathway for your life, when you trust in him, will be cleared and will be made level. So if we are doing this, if we are trusting God, if we are allowing his unconditional love into our lives, what are the kind of things that will show up in our lives? What is the right response? And that's what the remaining part of the passage is about this morning. So when you trust God, when you believe that his unconditional love for you is true and real, certain things will show up. Before we I get into those just briefly. The challenge is this, is that, and this is true in my own life, is that when we, when we come like this on Sunday mornings and we gather together um, and we talk about God, we talk about personal things in our lives, what often happens is our guard comes up. That we want to go like this. We want to say, keep at a distance. We can talk about this stuff as long as you stay like this. And the point of this word, this hesed, this steadfast love, is to say to you, will you allow God to love you? Will you ease off? Will you allow the God of the universe into your life, into the hard areas of your life, and will you trust him? Do you really think you know better than the sovereign God of the universe and how he wants you to live your life? Will you let your guard down? And if so, what will happen is God will begin to change your life. And here's what will show up. Verse 7 and 8 says this. When you trust God, you will be humble and you will have a teachable spirit. Here's what it says. Verse 7. Be not wise in your own eyes. Be not wise in your own eyes. So listen, we don't, you don't want to be this guy. We've all experienced this guy. This is... This is the one, the person that walks around thinking he's right all the time and everyone around him knows he's wrong. And you just become the fool. And it's so easy to do that. Listen, just by even reading this, it just sounds bad. Don't be wise in your own eyes. You think you've got it all figured out. You've got all the answers. You've got all the solutions to everything. You're the wise one and everyone else is below you. The opposite, the opposite of that is this, is a person who fears the Lord. 
that has a right reality. Again, wisdom is about living in God's reality. You are not living in reality if you think you know everything. You become the fool. This type of person exaggerates their own wisdom. When you trust God, when you allow the eternal covenant love of God into your life, you will become a person of humility. You will become a person who fears the Lord. It is the idea of reverence, that you will care more about what God thinks than what you think. That you'll care more about what God thinks than what other people think. The author goes on and says this, explaining a little bit more what fear the Lord means. It means to turn away from evil. Psalms chapter 32, verse 3 and 4 says this, talking about turning away from evil. When I keep silent about my sin, my body wasted away. And through my groaning all day long, for night and day your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away with a fervent heat of summer. Psalms 32. Proverbs 26.12 says this about the man who's wise in his own eyes. He says, Do you see a wise man in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than him. A wise, the, the wise man is a cautious man who turns away from evil, but a fool is arrogant and careless. Again, the word arrogant. Wise in his own eyes. Choosing, making compromises in his life. Here's what James in the New Testament says, which is kind of the equivalent New Testament book of Proverbs. James chapter 1 says this, that God promises to give you wisdom that gives you the right understanding of how God wants you to live your life. When you are trusting God, when we are putting our trust in God, there will be a humility. There will be a teachable spirit within us. And here's, here is the benefit of it. So these Proverbs, they're kind of Here's what they say something. They say, here's the command, and then here's the benefit. Okay? So when you trust in God, you will develop within you humility and a teachable spirit. And then here's the, the benefit. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. That means, that's modern day, we call that quality of life. That, you, that, you, that your life is going well. That you feel within you a sense of joy a sense of contentment, a sense of peace. And maybe if you're lacking those things, are you willing, are you willing to ask yourself the hard questions? Right? And I know, listen, sometimes we have topics, sometimes this happens within families, like you can't even bring this up. This is not on the table for discussion because it makes me look bad. Well, are you, are you compromising? Are you turning away from evil? Are you thinking too highly of yourself? What do those things lead to? Well, it leads to the opposite of what the, what the author says. Discouragement, isolation, frustration. And what the author is showing us here is that when you put your trust in God's love, there will be within you a sense of humility and a teachable spirit. 
Next, number two, we learn that when you are trusting God, you will be generous with your possessions. You will be generous with your possessions. Verse 9 says this, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of your produce. This is a simple test of faith. It begins with this, Honor God with your wealth. Honor here means you're willing to make a sacrifice to the Lord. Wealth here means anything beyond your daily needs of food, shelter, clothing. The Proverbs, the book of Proverbs talks a lot about wealth, and it says a lot of things that are both negative about wealth and positive. Here's a negative. Number one, it does not provide security. Proverbs 18.11 says this, A rich man's wealth is his strong city. This is hilarious. Proverbs are funny sometimes. A rich man's wealth is his strong city, and like a high wall in his imagination, you're not living in reality. And we think this, right? Everyone has a number. Whatever number you think, if you had this number in your bank account, you'd be like, life is good. Life would be secure. All my stresses would be gone. And according to Proverbs, you're not living in reality. You're not living in reality. Do not think that money will bring you security or happiness. Right? And we all do. Right? Don't we? A little bit? We all do. We all play the fool. Okay? Proverbs says this, don't ever think that money will bring you security. Right? I mean, just for example, just because you're wealthy doesn't mean you're going to be healthy. Right? Doesn't, the promise is very little. Okay? The, the, the book of Proverbs says some very positive things, too, about wealth. Proverbs 3.16 says, with wisdom comes honor with wisdom comes riches and honor. So the Bible says, hey, be careful, but there's also very positive things the Bible says about wealth. That when you earn it with wisdom and honesty and integrity, it produces honor. It's a very positive thing. So there's very positive proverbs about it, and there's also warnings about it. If you're trusting in God, in every area of your life, wisdom will say this, honor God with your wealth. Trust Him. And here's what it says, then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Okay, that's like really positive Old Testament talk. Like wine overflowing, right? It's like just over everywhere. So here's what you, wisdom is this. Wisdom is doing things that might seem counterintuitive, right? Giving your money away, that doesn't seem quite right. But God says this, when you give some of your money away, it's showing that you understand that God is the sovereign creator of the universe, that he is in control, that all of this is his world. Think about this just for a moment as far as, as wealth and, and, and where we live today and in the United States of America. None of us chose where we were born, right? You didn't, you didn't, get, to, you didn't get to arrange with mom and dad by saying, I'm going to be born in the United States of America. And where we live compared to many, many places in the world, Haiti, for example, right? We've got five or six people from our church in Haiti. Tremendous challenges. And in our country, we have amazing opportunities to accumulate wealth. 
But the test of wisdom is this. Are you willing to give some of it away? It's very difficult. The more we make, the harder it is to let some go. If you're trusting God, if you're pursuing wisdom that God wants to give you, it says honor God with your wealth. And then here's the, the proverb, the wisdom is this. You're going to be returned more, plenty. It's not to give stuff away to torture you. Your vats will be bursting with new wine. Last, and this is, this is um, interesting because most of the time when we look at wisdom, when we look at the book of Proverbs, we see a quality of life. And this is true, that if we acquire wisdom, that the quality of your life will increase significantly. But then here's a turn. Verse 11 says this, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline. When you, and it's not if, it's when, when you trust God, will you be willing to learn through trials and suffering? When you, I should say this, when you trust God, when you are allowing God's hesed love into your life, you will be willing to learn through trials and suffering. And we have options. All right? Again, here is, here's what I'm talking about when I say wisdom. There's, there's not a moral absolute. If you're going through a hard time or a challenging time, you can go this way, you can go cynical, you can go resentful, you can go bitter, you can go victim, you can say life isn't fair, you can blame other people, you go grumpy all the time. Or you can say, I'm going to trust you, God, even though this is really, really hard, this is very challenging, this is pushing me to the absolute max of what I can handle. And what it will do is it will translate into more wisdom. The reality is this, is that none of us can grow or acquire wisdom without times of trial or suffering in our lives. That's how we grow as people. That's how we develop wisdom. The hard thing, and this is, we talked about this a couple weeks ago in Psalms 23, the valley of the shadow of death. What happens often when we are in times of trial or suffering or discouragement is we get brought low and we lose perspective. <clears throat> I think it was last summer that I, um, when my family, the, all of us went up to Washington, that a friend of mine arranged for a, <clears throat> a biplane ride on the Olympic Peninsula. I was born and raised up in Port Townsend. And one of the things that is true about Washington, if you know this, is it does rain a lot. And so the, where we live, the trees just grow like crazy. So everywhere is just forest. And there are some places where you can literally like just walk into the woods 50 feet and you kind of like disappear. And one of the things that was so fascinating about this biplane ride is you're up high and everything changes. The whole perspective. It is amazing um, from the air to see the Olympic Peninsula, the western part of Washington State where there is bay and inlet. I mean, I can just tell you all the names of these little inlets and islands and waterways. And you, you're up high and you're like, this is one of the most beautiful places I've ever seen because your perspective changes. And what happens is we're brought low and it's very difficult during times of challenge or trial or suffering when you're low and when you're in it, when you're in the thick of it. 
And what we need to remind ourselves is that God from up above is looking down. And there's a different perspective, that there is a growth, that there is something positive that can be brought out of it. The best example of this is the life of Jesus Christ. The man who came from heaven, came to earth, and before he could ascend back to heaven, he had to endure the cross. And one of the most important things about his enduring the cross is not just that he suffered for us, which is true. Jesus validated this Hesed love, this unconditional eternal love by dying on the cross. But also equally important is that he experienced the same suffering and trials that we all go through. He experienced physical pain. He experienced emotional pain. He experienced abandonment. He experienced the worst that humanity could offer. And he was innocent. Sometimes the choices we make in our life bring suffering and trials, but Jesus Christ lived the life that none of us can live, and he endured the worst that people can do to other people. And part of that is so that we can identify with him, that guarantee that life has its challenges and it has its pain. But what you can do is you can identify with Jesus Christ, the living God, the perfect God-man, who was completely innocent, and he suffered alongside of us. And so when we think about this, verse 11 and 12 says this, <clears throat> My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. Verse 12 is the key. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. That sometimes in the fallen world that we live in, we are allowed or led into times of suffering and trial, but our eyes are always to be on Christ because he has the perspective. He is the one who came from heaven to earth and ascended back and understands the greater purpose, that there is a greater good that's going on in our lives when we have times of suffering or trial. But we're never alone. That God's enduring love is made visible in the life of Jesus Christ. As we study this morning the book of Proverbs, we have to understand that the ultimate wisdom is seen at the cross. Because that's where God's love was put on display. And everything is centered on that. All wisdom that God wants to give us and give you as an individual is centered on the reality that God wants to be at the center of your life. And the only way God can be at the center of his life is when you understand the love he has for you and the way it was demonstrated on the cross to bring us into a relationship with the living God. That's what's offered to us. That is the gift of wisdom. That is the gift that we can apply to each and every day that we live. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that um, you rescue us, you save us, but then you teach us, you give us instructions. You don't abandon us. You don't leave us to, to deal with life on our own. 
you offer, offer us your wisdom. Father, I pray that, that we would um, just open our hearts to the love you have for us, that, that we would put our confidence, we would put our trust in this, that, that we would move you to the center of our lives so that we, we would be more humble, we'd be more generous, and that during of, of real trial and suffering, that we would trust you because you have the perspective as the one who came from heaven to earth and reconciled us to you on the cross. Father, we love you. We thank you so much. And I pray that we would rejoice in the, and be joyful in the love you have for us. And we say thank you, Lord, to that. In Jesus' name, amen.